Ah, motherhood. One minute, your mom of the year. I love you, mommy. Then the next? Mm, not so much. From bath time to bullying, from potty training to puberty, parenting is full of challenges. But one thing is for certain, you are not alone. Welcome to Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, author, mother, parenting expert, Tara Clark. Join me while we tackle today's modern mom problems. So Libby, where do you find the courage to be able to speak about this? Brene Brown, hands down. So Brene Brown talks a lot in her books about vulnerability and how that is really the antidote to shame. And I lived many of my adult years in shame because a lot of the people that I socialized with didn't grow up the way I grew up and didn't have the same sort of traumas and experiences. And I didn't talk about them. And when I learned about vulnerability and sharing your story and what that can do for ourselves in getting rid of shame and what that can do for other people, I really just sort of started testing it out with friends and family. And I realized in doing that, that once I opened up and shared my story, that allowed them to do the same. And not only did I not feel alone, but they also got to a place where they were like, oh, I didn't realize I there was other people who had these experiences. And I realized in those moments that it is vulnerability and it is sharing the hard things that really connects us as human beings and really helps to build community and relationships. And like Brene Brown says, it's a path to wholehearted living, right? Because we all want to have those friendships and those relationships, but it's hard to go deep when we're living in secrecy and shame. And so I did that in my personal life. And when I started doing it on TikTok and Instagram, it was a resounding, yes, please. You know, it was a resounding people saying, oh my goodness, me too. I thought I was the only one I've been living in such shame. I thought there was something wrong with me. And it's been just this really beautiful thing of realizing that by sharing my hard things, it not only reduces my shame, but it allows other people to not only reduce their shame, but look for answers and also try and find healing, which is, you know, what I would, I would love to encourage people to do. So I think the courage comes from the fact that I know it makes a difference. It makes a difference for me and it makes a difference for the people that I'm sharing my story with. And I just have to ignore the people who don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a big part of it too. That was sort of my follow-up question is, what do you do when you receive backlash for your honesty or for your stories? I think that I have come to the realization that we all come from different places in our lives and we all have different backgrounds and different experiences. And the people who don't understand it genuinely, I... Sometimes I think I count them as lucky that they have never maybe experienced such life altering things happening to them and abuses and traumas that they can't get to a place that they would understand that. Or even just that maybe they have experienced those things, but they haven't gotten to a place where they understand themselves. And so I try to, in my mind, respond with empathy of like, that must be hard that they don't understand it. And then sort of just move on because I I know that in the end, my message is going to reach the right people and the people it's not for, they can just carry on. I'm not out to get lots of followers. I'm out to reach the people who my message is meant to reach. Absolutely. That's so beautiful and, and so well said. Unfortunately, your your father recently passed and I'm and I'm so sorry about that. And and I was so struck at your honesty about that story. And so can we talk a little bit about your relationship with your father, your relationship with your mother, and, you know, why you felt that it was like the right time to be talking about that on your account? 
Right. So my dad was deaf and he was illiterate. He had his own extremely traumatic and hard childhood. And with my mom, he had my brother and myself and they divorced when I was about two. I was two when my parents got divorced. Yeah. (laughs) It seems to be around that age that it happened. (laughs) Yeah. So my parents split up and then we were really raised, my brother and I, by my mom. And we saw my dad on the weekends. And regardless of being deaf and illiterate and having so many obstacles in his way, my dad was really the fun dad. He was the dad who did stuff with us. He was great, but we didn't see him very often. Most of our time was spent with my mom. And then just to backtrack... My childhood in general as a whole was very turbulent and just unstable. On the whole, 10 out of 10, would not recommend. I was raised by my mom, like I said, primarily. My parents split when I was two, aside from growing up in poverty, so we didn't have a car. We were food insecure, clothes, basic necessities were difficult to come by. My brother and I were with our mom who had her own unhealed trauma, undiagnosed mental health disorders, undiagnosed personality disorders. So every single day was unpredictable up and down. We moved most years, sometimes several times a year. We lived in houses, apartments with various men in my mom's life or friends, family and shelters, you name it. So I never stayed in one school for very long. We never built a foundation or had a community. When I was about 10, my mom met a new man and moved us out of the city that we lived in for most of our childhood. And I was no longer allowed to talk to my dad. So I didn't see my dad between the ages of 10 and 18 when I went back to find him. Girl, we got so much in common. It's like I'm getting chills, but yes, keep going. I'd love to hear about that. Right. So my stepdad was extremely abusive and my mom, who was bipolar and narcissistic, undiagnosed, It was very difficult in those teen years. My teens were the hardest. Home was not a safe place to be. We were cut off from the rest of the world. We didn't socialize. It was just us at home in a very, very toxic environment. So I'd say the hardest part for me was the emotional instability of our home and how I was made to be responsible from a very young age for my mom, for my parents, for just the general environment of our home. So I was often to blame for things when things went wrong. And really developed into an adult who I just, I wanted a different life. We have a very similar story because my parents were divorced when I was two. I lived with my mother. I went to see my father on the weekends. And when I was about 10, he got remarried to a terrible wicked stepmother. At which point then my mother decided that I can't go there anymore. It was unsafe for me to go there. And so I didn't see my dad from 10 until 25. When he then said, then he was getting divorced from that woman and he was like, let's bury the hatchet. And then we did. And then my parents started dating again for a period of time around the time that I was actually getting married myself. I got married at 26. And so it was like 25, 26 and they were together. And like, that is every divorced kid's dream. Like, oh, my parents are going to get back together and they're like happy and we're like a family. And it was like sort of surreal, but amazing at the same time. And then, you know, all good things must come to an end. And then they broke up (laughs) and then, you know, went their own separate ways. So I understand. So that's interesting. And, and my mother also is is narcissistic and, and suffers from her own issues. She would never admit that in 100 years. So it's sort of a big deal that I'm even saying that right now, but she'll never listen to this. So it doesn't matter. She doesn't have access to the internet. So she also doesn't fully understand what I do for a living. Right. So yes, I understand, Lib. 
You and I have a lot of similarities. Very similar. People ask me all the time, like, does your mom know what you do? And I'm like, no, she doesn't. Like she, she doesn't see it. She doesn't know. She doesn't fully understand it. And I don't even know that she would be able to consume it in a healthy way. Yes. Anyway. I I agree. That's what it is. She only knows about it from what I describe or not even me, like maybe other family members are like, oh, Tara, good for you. Congratulations on X, Y, and Z. And my mom's like, what? Huh? Yeah. She, I, I had a book that came out last April and over the summer she was flipping through it and I heard her under her breath say out loud, I'm not even in this. <laughs> and I thought- right. And there's the narcissism, right? And that was it. It wasn't like, oh, congratulations. Great job. Yeah. It was like a, but I'm not even in the book. And I was like, uh-huh. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So what, it's just, what about me? <laughs> what about me? So, you know, yeah. that's just, those are the types of things that you learn to overcome. Like you said, you, as a, a very young child, you get to be very independent and very responsible for your own needs. So that you have to get to school on time. You know, you have to make sure you have your homework or a snack or whatever it happens to be. Right. right? So yes, we have a lot of right. I mean, I there. remember, I remember my mom in her most difficult years, in my teens, after she divorced the horrible ex-stepdad we had, begging me to stay home from school to take care of her, to hang out with her. And so I not only didn't have someone encouraging me to do well in school or asking me what I wanted to be when I grew up or packing my lunch or cooking dinner, I had someone who was asking me to stay home and take care of them. And really, I just took on that responsibility and I had to fight between do I prioritize myself or do I prioritize my mom? And I had 17 years of conditioning that, no, she's more important. And so when we talk about generational cycles of trauma, I've carried that into my adulthood. And I spent many years of my 20s in this codependent relationship where I felt like I needed to fix her. And then that carried on to other relationships in my life where I just wanted to make everyone happy and make sure everyone else is okay. So really part of my message is, I think so many women, even if they don't go through extreme traumas, we take on this responsibility of it's my job to make everyone else happy and my needs and my wants and my desires are just less important. And it's just not true. And it took me a long time to realize that I even had that mentality. At what point did you like identify it? At what point where did the light bulb go off and you said, you know, hey, this is an issue. This isn't healthy. In therapy. It was in therapy. I mean, it was many years of disappointments, many years of her saying, I'm going to change. If you just help me with this, then this will get better. And me just holding on to hope that this one time it would change. And it was years and years of it falling flat on its face and me just getting hurt and disappointed. And then having the tables turned on me to realize like this isn't healthy and this isn't okay. And through talking to my therapist, it made me realize like, that I had a part in it. Not that it was my fault, but that my own mentalities that were shaped throughout my childhood have made me feel intrinsically responsible for her. Mm. And that even though the things that happened to me as a child caused that, it's now my responsibility to sort of undo it for my own well-being. Yeah, that makes so much sense. At what point or at what age did you enter therapy? Because the reason why I ask that question is that one, I think therapy is wonderful. And if people, you know, should never be, feel ashamed or shy to, to seek out help. And so I think it's so important. But coming from that background, 
I'm sure your mother wasn't the first one to be like, you know what, let's go get therapy. You know, like I'm sure it was very shameful. I'm sure that she, I mean, I could be wrong, but I know my mom would never admit that she suffers from any sort of mental health issues or anything like that. So at what point did you, A, give yourself permission to go to therapy? And like, when did you seek it out? It was after I had kids, actually. So before I had kids in my early 20s, I was reading a lot of books and sort of getting a little bit of a taste for self-help, mental health, trauma, things like that, and beginning to sort of shape what had happened to me growing up. But it wasn't until I was faced with the stressors of being a parent and not wanting to continue that cycle that I I went. And it was really, I'm going to say once I had two kids, so I had a two-year-old and a newborn, and I was really stretched my capacity. And that's when I really saw my own tendencies that were similar to my mom coming out that like quick to anger and almost blaming other people for my own stresses and a lot of resentment towards other people. And I just noticed internally like, oh, this is how your mom treated you or this is how mom, like this is what our relationship looked like with mom. And I hated it. Yeah. And I thought something has to change. And so it was really a lot of the stressors of being a parent and not being able to maintain that pushed me to do it. Because before parenthood, I mean, I knew that I had problems and I knew I had a hard childhood, but you know, we were, me and my husband were financially stable. I had a good relationship with him. I had friendships. I didn't have a ton of external stressors, but it wasn't until I had children and you know, the love that you have for your children and the knowledge that you would never want to hurt them how you were hurt comes into, well, what do I do to change? Like, where do I even start? So it was, it was after I had kids. This podcast is brought to you by Citizens of Sound, a podcast production agency committed to developing and launching shows with gravity and depth. From conception to launch, Citizens will partner with you every step of the way, whether you're an actor, business owner, doctor, fitness coach, influencer, or simply a hobbyist. Citizens offers everything from conception to branding, editing to mixing, and publishing to management. Jump on board with Citizens of Sound and start your own podcast today. Go to citizensofsound.com and follow them on Instagram. That totally makes sense because I feel like the same thing was true for me personally when, let's say, I don't know, my son spilled a glass of milk or something, right? When he was like two years old, I was quick to anger in the same way that my mom would have been quick to get angry with me. I saw a lot of myself or a lot of my mother, I should say, a lot of my mother in myself when Mm -hmm. my son was a toddler because I was quick to anger with that kind of stuff. Now I have definitely grown out of that. I, I don't know if it was, you know, just the time period or the stressors or whatever it happened to be, or Instagram has helped me so much with following a lot of conscious parenting accounts, Mm -hmm. you know, gentle parenting, respectful parenting, all of that stuff. And so I'm a firm believer of that. I'm a firm believer of of respecting your children as people and, and, you know, speaking to them with respect as their people, because obviously they are. So I think that really helped me too. But you're right. Like there are certain times where you see a glimpse of your mother and yourself and you go, oh God, no, I don't like that. That's, that is right. not the person that I want to be. That's right. not how I want to conduct myself. And so now as a veteran parent, and I'm using that in quotes because my son is nine. So I've been a parent for a while. 
I've definitely worked out my own parenting style, but I know that when my son was like, you know, one, two, three years old, I was very quick to get upset. And I think it was also, you know, the anxiety that comes with having a small child that really feeds into that as well. Right, exactly. And I feel like we can have all these ideals of I'm going to be a patient parent and a loving parent, and I'm going to do all these things, but you don't know what it feels like to be sleep deprived until you're sleep deprived. And you don't know what it feels like to have the stressors of parenting and managing household and a career and all the things until you're in the middle of it and you feel like you can't function. And then when your window of stress is so small, you can't actually act in the ways that you intend to act, or it's so much harder to. Mm-hmm. And you, I think when we make all these ideals of the type, type of parent we want to be, it's so hard until you're actually in it and you're experiencing it. Yep. Just yesterday on the playground, I was chatting with a friend of mine. She has four kids. So they range in age from nine to six months old. And so she's she's in every stage right now, essentially. Right. She's like a nine-year-old. She has a, a one-and-a-half-year-old. She has a seven-year-old. She has them all and a six-month-old. And so you know, she was saying how she thought that she would be like all organic, all breastfed, no chicken nuggets, all homemade pureed food from Whole Foods and this and that. And then she's like, but now you realize like they eat chicken nuggets and they eat McDonald's and all of this. And like, I myself was that mom because I was like, I am going to be that ideal mother. And then once you're in it for a year or so, you're like, oh, this this is nonsense. You know, the stress yeah. that you put yourself yeah. through. And I did yes. it. I could speak to that, you know, very well. Like I put myself through so much stress for probably, I don't know, two and a half years of like organic and this and that. And I believe that it's, I believe in good, healthy food and, and all of that kind of stuff. And we're very lucky to be able to, you know, afford organic food. But the fact that we put these pressures on ourselves is just like so ludicrous because now when you look back now, like I said, my son is nine. I look back and I'm like, gosh, I can't believe I put myself through that. Now he hardly eats like a French fry and a chicken nugget. He's a super picky eater. So (laughs) if he eats anything, I'm happy. I'm like, just eat food here, Oreos, eat muffins, eat whatever you can, put some calories in your body, please. Right. And I think for me in the first year, I was so focused on those things like, you know, sleep training, don't sleep train organic food, like puree food, breastfeed, like all, I was so focused on all of those things that I didn't put much work into like, how am I going to deal with like the behaviors and the emotional regulation and, you know, forming a good bond and relationship with them for the long term. And I realized as my kids got older, it's so much more important to build them up as good human beings that have a good relationship with you and model humility and all of these good like emotional practices than it is to puree their food in their first year. Right? It's like, so true. I it mean, makes so much more of a long-term difference. And yet we don't does. talk about it. We don't we talk, don't about, talk it. about it. I'm so glad that you're talking about that. I'm so glad that we're having this conversation right now. Cause yes, yes, yes. A thousand percent. I'm giving you a standing ovation right now. Yes. Those are the important long-term things that we know, need to focus on. Are we raising good human beings? And the answer to that is yes, yes we are. Because I often say, and I know you say this too, is that if you're looking into how to be a good mom, guess what? You're already on the path to being a good mom, or you are already a good mom, right? And so those are the types of things that I think it's important that your platform, my platform, this is the kind of stuff that we need to talk about 
because there are new moms coming into our communities every day, right? We're veteran moms now. You have an older child, two older children. I have an older child. So we've seen it. We've lived it. And, and now we're saying we've been in the trenches. We know what it's like to not sleep. We know what it's like to be concerned about breastfeeding or formula or organic formula or whatever it happens to be or, you know, eating the chicken nuggets every single night of the week. Like we know we do it. We see it now. But I don't know. I don't even know where I was going with that. But I think it's I so think, important that we talk about it. Yeah. And I, I, what I think about is when I became a new mom, I was bummed bombarded with like products to buy and what to feed my child and, you know, baby wearing and, and all these things that sure there's valid reasons to talk about those, but I heard about them substantially more than any type of support of this is going to be hard. This is how you regulate your emotions. It's important to take breaks. It's important to prioritize yourself because you can't apply any of the ideals you have in your head. If you are exhausted, depressed, and anxious, if you have all these other things going on, then all the other things you want to do are going to be so much harder to do. And so I think the conversation for new moms and moms of little ones particularly needs to be more about how do we regulate ourselves and our own emotions and heal ourselves and deal with what's going on with us so that we can be the mom we want to be and we can execute the choices that we're choosing to do. So beautifully said. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I want to jump through the computer and give you a hug on that one because that's a hundred percent what it needs to be. And it's also a good transition because now we're going to jump over to the rapid fire questions. Are you ready for the rapid fire round, Lib? I am ready. Okay. I'm Here ready. we go. First question. What's your favorite 90s movie? I'm blanking. I don't know all the Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, like a Billy <laughs> Madison. Okay. That counts. Yeah, that counts. Billy Madison. Billy Madison's my favorite 90s movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, it's a good one. What's your favorite comfort food? Fried chicken. Mm, I ate so much fried chicken when I was pregnant with my son that I don't think I've ever even eaten it again. I was eating fried chicken like every, right. <laughs> every like night. Chicken wings, I like chicken fingers, buffalo fingers, any sort of breaded fried chicken. It's like, that's, that's my thing. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That makes me happy. What's your favorite self-grooming thing? Oh, that's a good question. I would say my exfoliating mitt. Ooh, that's I a have, good like, original this, like, question. Fancy mitt that I like. I don't know. It gets all the dead skin off. My legs are so soft. Oh my god, I'm jealous. I need that. Mine are not. I am like a cactus. It's like an ashy cactus. It is not a good look. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not officially warm here yet in New York, so I, I have a couple weeks. Right. I should clarify that it's really soft when I use it. I wouldn't oh. say that I do it enough that my legs are always soft, but when I use it, they're delightful. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to go after that one. That's actually a really, really good idea. Okay. Last question. Ready? What is your favorite song lyric and why? I have this song that is stuck in my head right now that's called Vienna by Billy Joel. And it goes, slow down. You're doing fine. You can't be everything you want to be before your time. And I just love it so much right now because I've always been a person who wanted the next best thing or wanted to be married or wanted to have kids or wanted my kids to not be babies or wanted them to not be toddlers. And now I'm this married mom of two kids who are five and seven and it's wonderful 
And I'm just looking back going like, why did I rush it all? Slow down. So that's, that's the song I've stuck in my head right now. That's such a good one. It's so perfect because I think that's perfect for both motherhood. I think it makes sense for social media. I think it makes sense for like so many things. When when my son was a toddler, we had a hard time with him as a toddler. He had a lot of tantrums and emotional regulation issues. And my husband would always say, Ugh, just be six. Just be six already. And mm-hmm. now my son is nine. And I think back and go, wow, that was three years ago. You know, that we wanted him to be. So it was actually like five years ago when my husband right. was saying, just be six. And now I'm like, yeah, just be six again. Just be six. No. <laughs> and six feels like a baby now. You're like, let's it go does. back to six. It really does. When I go to his school and I see the kindergartners who are six, I think, oh my goodness, they're just like itty bitty little babies. And it's just, it blows my mind. But you know, I have to say, I think, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, that's great ages. What what do you think? Because our kids are about the same age. It's the glory days. Yeah. Honestly, my kids are five and seven and it is the absolute best because they're still cute and sweet and they still think I'm just like the best thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm sure that'll change, but they still think it's, I'm the best. They want to do everything with me, but they are developing their own little senses of humor and their own little personalities and they have their own ideas and they can get themselves a drink and they can turn the TV on and let me sleep in on Saturday mornings. And I get to delight in them and not be physically needed all day, every day. So I love it. I love this stage. I do too. I I think it's a wonderful age. But, you know, as a content creator, do you sometimes find it challenging that you don't still maybe have the same jokes or the same material as when your kids were younger? I know for me, that's happened to me. I always think like, my best material is behind me now because I'm the mom of an older child. Yes, absolutely. All the time. And I find I actually get my inspiration from my friends with little kids. Because uh, it's so easy to forget all the the little nuances. I sometimes wish that I had social media when my kids were so little. Because I'm like, the jokes would be the best. Yes. So I have to really transport myself back to that time. (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree. You know, it's funny that you say about wanting social media when the kids were younger. Because do you feel that, you know, if you were you know, 15, 16, 17, when TikTok came out, do you think that like that would have been like incredible or are you happy with it coming out now? You know what? I wish, I wish moms were more raw about the realness of parenthood when I was a new mom, but I don't wish I had TikTok when I was a teenager. (laughs) I was such a weird teenager and I had so many problems. I'm just like so glad that there's no proof no public proof of my extreme weirdness in my teens. Like I'm so grateful for that, (laughs) but I definitely wish that there was more social media mom support when my kids were little. Yeah, I I agree. I often say that, which is part of why I started my account originally anyways, because, you know, when I had my son in in 2012, social media, for one, Instagram wasn't around, but two, Facebook was just like taking a picture of a turkey sandwich and being like, this is what I had for lunch today. Or Twitter was like, you know, like, you know, just random stuff. And it was just taking pictures of like sandwiches and pastries and lattes and stuff like that. So I'm so glad that we're able to have the difficult raw topics and we answer the raw questions now. You know, we, we talk about these vulnerable things that years ago were just simply not on the table. They were too taboo. So people like you, thank you so much, Libby, for doing it. So tell everybody, Where can we find you and what's next for you? 
Where can you find me on TikTok and Instagram at Diary of an Honest Mom and on my blog, www.diaryofanhonestmom.com. And I'm speaking this out into the universe one day in the pages of a book, I hope, or on a stage. That is what I would like. But for now, (gasps) social media and my blog. Yes, girl. I am manifesting that for you 100%. And you know what? It's only a matter of time. I could tell you that. It's only a matter of time. Libby Ward, you are an inspiration to me and so many women out there. Thank you so much for being on today's show. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest and tackling another modern mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you could head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.